happy Sunday to you all. Good morning. My name is Reverend Marisol Caballero. You can call me Reverend Mari for short. I am so happy to see each and every one of your faces here. Some of you I have never seen before, and I'm thrilled about that. Some of you I haven't seen in a very long time, and I'm so glad to see you back. We come from a long heritage that teaches us that there's a little spark of the divine in each and every one of us, that God dwells inside of each of us. So let's start our day by turning to your right and left and front and back and saying, hey, God, to the people you see. Join me in the words by which we light our chalice. They're found in your orders of service. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship today is by Heim Stern. Once more atonement day has come, all pretense gone, naked heart revealed to the hiding self. We stand on holy ground between the day that was and the one that must be. We tremble at what did we aim? How did we stumble? What did we take? What did we give? To what were we blind? Last year's confession came easily to the lips. Will this year's come from deeper than the skin? Say then, why are our paths strewn with promises like falling leaves? Say then, what shall our lust be for wisdom? Say now, love and truth shall meet. Justice and peace shall embrace. Every week we get together in all of our diversity and we know what brings us together besides our awesomeness and our humility. <laughs> it's many, many things. Our seven principles, our six sources, our commitment to social justice, our inquisitive minds, but also, so importantly, does our mission statement. Please say it with me. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Today's reading is titled, Coming Clean, by my mentor, the Reverend Marta Valentin. Coming clean is another way of finding peace in one's heart. It is looking up at the clear, crisp, Lavender sky to find a reflection of my soul, spelling out God's prayer among the wisps of clouds. Love thyself, and then you will truly love me. Coming clean does not wipe out imagined slates of guilt and suffering, does not imply traveling a continuum from evil toward what is good, blessed, pure, untarnished. To come clean is what pounds in my heart, inviting me into its rhythms, inviting me to create music out of cacophonous sounds and dance from beats richly textured and interwoven by faith 
hope, love. During our musical meditation, I invite you all into an attitude or spirit of prayer and meditation in your seats. As you think about all those around you, maybe yourselves, including strangers on the other side of the world, in need of shelter of some kind, of safety, of reconciliation, nourishment, reassurance, and encouragement. Also, think of all of those who are experiencing joy, including those close to you and yourselves, who are experiencing gratitude, who have something to teach us of it, including the strangers on the other side of the world. And as you reflect on these prayers, these blessings, these sorrows, if you feel so moved, come up and light a candle with that in your heart. Imbue that wick with that intention, that grief, that celebration, and, and let the flame carry that up. Let it carry it up quite literally into the air that we are sharing in this room that commingles in our lungs so that we don't have to grieve or celebrate alone anymore. May it be so. Amen. Now, my wife, she doesn't typically come to church, um, and part of that is her choice, and <laughs> part of that is because she has a wonderfully wicked sense of humor, and I never know what is going to fly out of her mouth. So to keep us both safe, she does other things. <laughs> it's part of the reason. Well, when, when we were still just dating... I told her how I chuckled when that day I had read online that one of my liberal Baptist colleagues posted that she was about to preach a word to the people. And I commented that I wish you use could get away with just one-word sermons. <laughs> and I laughed as I told Aaron this story, and I wondered aloud what that one word might be if we, were, if we could get away with a one-word sermon. Without missing a beat, she smiled and triumphantly shouted, Repent! <laughs> we hit the floor. This Tuesday, at sundown, people of Jewish descent around the world will celebrate Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement and closing observation to the annual High Holy Days that began last week with Rosh Hashanah. Though of all days, this is the one that, like Christmas for secular folks who grew up Christian, is the one that will bring folks into the synagogue. It'll be packed to the rafters. Uh, but the most observant of Jews will spend the day in prayer, fasting from food and drink and they'll abstain from all physical pleasures, sometimes including bathing. 
On this day, the sins of the past year are reflected upon with deep regret. There's a new resolve not to commit those sins again in the new year. And they are confessed before God in prayer. Jewish people are also encouraged to make things right with anyone they've harmed or who has harmed them and to start anew, to come clean. In this way, each person has the opportunity to practice forgiveness and to be forgiven each year. Of course, none of us can make it through 12 months without hurting someone we care about or being hurt by someone we care about. That is human. But there are transgressions that we commit in our hearts, in our actions, and in our inactions that warrant a careful consideration of this aspect of Judaism by Unitarian Universalists. Last Sunday, Meg, Reverend Meg, somewhat jokingly referred to what you use might consider sins, such as throwing something away that could have been recycled, or appearing unintelligent or gullible in public. But in all seriousness, there does exist the possibility of community atonement from a liberal religious community such as ours. As a community, we have perhaps fallen short when we could have done more to interrupt systems of oppression. For example, or maybe we have made wrong assumptions on the ways we can be helpful Even still, there were probably times when our actions or inaction worked to perpetuate such systems. Just as racism doesn't require racist intent, sexism doesn't require sexist intent, xenophobia doesn't necessarily require xenophobic intent, etc., we know that we don't have to mean it to mess up. By now, many of us are beginning to get the message that the slogan, All Lives Matter, was created specifically to undermine the Black Lives Matter movement. And the fact that right now, we need to actually focus on, we need to strongly affirm the worth of people of color who are disproportionate victims of excessive police brutality. For the majority of us, We have come to understand that the slogan, All Lives Matter, is a reactionary function of white supremacy. White supremacy feeling threatened. Whether or not racism was the intent of the one insisting on erasing the current attention on black lives. We're coming also to understand that white supremacy does not simply refer to the Ku Klux Klan but to a system that we did not build, but that we all participate in and are subject to, whether wittingly or unwittingly. We are on the verge of understanding that if we are not feeling each loss of an unarmed black or Latino life, we, if we are deciding to look away, if we have the privilege to decide to look away, that we are part of the problem. Silence equals violence. We're understanding slowly how we can be helpful. The same can be said for all systems of oppression. 
the misogyny at play in the assault on available women's health care options, the xenophobia and Islamophobia present in a teen arrested for being a proud electronic tinkerer in a magnet school devoted to science and technology, and in the violent and inhumane responses to the current refugee crisis in Europe. But before we get out the hair shirt, that all familiar, self-flagellating, liberal hair shirt, and cozy up to that familiar, self-centered place of liberal guilt, let's remember, because I know I have resided there too, Let's remember that Yom Kippur is not simply about wallowing in guilt as no growth happens there. That's not the lesson, excuse me, the lesson we are to learn from this Jewish wisdom, this tradition. We've all experienced such apologies and have probably delivered them ourselves when the one apologizing goes on and on about how terrible they feel. The focus moves far away from the feelings of the other, the one being apologized to, far away from empathy and true reconciliation, far away from mutual understanding. And the one being apologized to often feels the need to then start taking care of the feelings of the other. Oh, it's okay. This is one of the, does this sound familiar? This is, um, this is one of the reasons why the white allies and the people of color enjoy meeting separately. So we don't have to feel like that. We can be vulnerable without the hair shirt happening. The advent of the internet and social media has made the high horse riding, finger wagging, and postponement of personal introspection so easy and so convenient. Feeding our notion that the ills of the world are the fault of everyone but us. Like I said at the beginning, we're really good about bragging about our humility <laughs> and, and, our, and our, our, our not being at fault. If only everyone thought like us. Yesterday, I learned about John Ronson's TED Talk, When the Online Shaming Spirals Out of Control, it's called, on NPR's TED Radio Hour. He spoke about the woman in, with the minimally followed Twitter account who unskillfully attempted sarcastic, what she hoped to be thought-provoking humor when she tweeted, Going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. Before she landed, the tweet had been picked up by BuzzFeed and shared millions of times. The hatred and suggested violence that was spewed her way by strangers around the world was staggering, and she had no idea because it all happened during her flight. A shocking statement like this could have been uttered on a stage by a satirical comedian like Sarah Silverman or written about in The Onion or on South Park, and the world would have understood that this was a mocking of an attitude 
of white privilege and invincibility that the developed world often carries while traveling. The woman was fired from her job and has suffered trauma associated with the vitriolic response of the internet. And of course, her suffering is nothing compared to the actual suffering of people living with and dying of AIDS on the continent of Africa, but in her confusion around the massive blow-up online, she told Ronson that she had only hoped to make a sarcastic joke about Western hypocrisy, thinking her few followers would see it and they know who she is and they know her sense of humor. But Twitter has no covenant of healthy relations like we do here. No one is asked to assume good intentions, check assumptions, or engage in direct communication. In fact, social media is structured to encourage the exact opposite of ethical human interactions. For many of us who try not to engage in such trolling or online bullying, we are guilty of haughty notions of superiority while posting clever social justice memes and endless links to think pieces about important issues and online petitions and crowdfunding causes while hesitating sometimes to speak out or uh, on such issues um, when we're not shielded by our computer screens in person. We don't always disrupt oppression when we see it happening. We don't always get out and organize face-to-face. And I get it. I mean, I'm guilty of some of this a lot of the time myself. And I mean, goodness, we're all busy. And I believe that there is a merit to armchair activism such as this, or slacktivism as it's now being termed. There is a merit to sharing these messages when they're shared in tandem with real organizing work, and when that organizing does not simply reach out for the low-hanging fruit of like-minded thinkers, but also appeals to the hearts of those with opposing viewpoints, who hold powers who hold positions of power and influence. Yeah, we choose our battles. But we should choose them wisely and we should engage in them lovingly. The tendency to point fingers and deflect blame from ourselves and our communities was not invented in this century or with the internet. It is as old as time. The difference now is that the, our actions and inactions, no matter how small, can have global implications. Take the role of social media during the Arab Spring, for example. It's this awareness, though, that can bring the gift of atonement into our lives. The notion of doing better once we know better is as practical as it is powerful. This is the great gift of Yom Kippur's wisdom to us today. I will leave you with the words of Stephen Schick. The evidence of a single day strike a full balance. At any moment, enough evidence might be presented to convince us that evil will soon rule the world. 
In the next moment, we may see people breaking free from their fears, confessing the hurt they have caused others, and asking for forgiveness. In such a moment, we might think love will win. Life offers both the sweet blueberry and the poisonous nightshade. Both are real. Both grow when given the right conditions. Our moment-to-moment task is not to deny the nature of growing things, but to choose what we will grow in our garden. May it be so. Let's extinguish this chalice together, shall we? The words are in your orders of service. Help me out here. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www. AustinUU.org